Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I want to read verses uh, 13 through 15. Our subject is the call of Matthew or the call of Levi. And again, we have Christ. He's in Capernaum. And we studied this last week, verse 13. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. I want to look here this morning at this this wonderful teaching that's given unto us about how the Lord called Matthew, how He called Levi. If you notice, I want to point out some things here. If you'll turn over to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And here we have another account of it. This, as we understand, is Matthew's own account. This is, he wrote this, Years later, Matthew 9, 9, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And then as well, over in the Gospel of Luke, it's in each of these first three Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> I want to read there verse chapter 5, verse 27. Gospel of Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Here it states, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. So I want to speak on the subject of uh, the call of Levi or the call of Matthew. And the first thing I want to note here, as we have in Luke 5, is it specifically tells us that he was a publican. And this is given to us as well as it said in our text of Mark 2 that he uh, sat at the receipt of customs. And this was uh, a place, he essentially, Levi worked for the IRS. I mean, that's, that's who, he was a tax collector. And, you know, as much disdain as we have for the IRS, I assure you it was nothing compared to what the Jews had for the publicans. These here, these tax collectors, they were considered to be traitors. I mean, they had, they were collaborators. And the, the best I can tell you is, is 
you know, back in the, the 30s and 40s, you had Nazi Germany, and you had, there were some who were Jews, and others of, you know, Polish descent, and the things that the, the Germans were trying to get rid of to produce their master race. They would call them collaborators. They would be, you know, oh, here, here's some Jews over here, here's some, here's some Poles over here, here's some, some of this, and here's some of these and that, and they, they spied on the people on behalf of Nazi Germany. That's how these publicans were looked at. They were traitors to their own people. And <clears throat> we find here that they, they were, it was a political office, if you would, created to help the Roman government collect taxes. And there were others. If you turn over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, one, he's, a, he's probably pretty famous thanks to a, a Sunday school chorus, a fellow by the name of Zacchaeus. Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, and verse 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. So he was, you know, he was a supervisor, if you would. There were other publicans that had different levels. There'd be those who'd go out every day, and then, you know, here's one, he's the chief of them. He's a higher step up. And I'm not going to go further with Zacchaeus, I just wanted to show that. If you would, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I never saw it this way before, but I'm, I'm told that this was an aspect of it, is that they extorted the people. They were extortioners. And what you would do is you would bid on a jurisdiction. You know, like for instance, the, the church house here, its zip code is 33566. And there's other zip codes in Plant City. And as a tax collector, you might say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one that gets the taxes from 33566 and I'll get $100,000. And somebody else come along and they'll say, okay, well, I'm going to put a bid in on that zip code and I'm going to get $125,000. And, and another one says, well, I'll get one hundred and fifty, dollars and usually go to the highest bidder because the more money they got, that's what they had a contract for with the Roman government. And whatever they collected over the contractual amount, they got to keep. So they would just extort people. It's kind of like the mob used to offer protection from themselves. And that's essentially here what you have. This is how the whole publican taxation, Roman government... Remember, all the stuff that you see in history and all the Roman government and the Senate and all this stuff, it's not all that different from our current government in the United States. Very corrupt. A lot of backdoor deals. A lot of, a lot of red tape. A lot of bureaucracy. A lot of you, you watch my back, I'll watch your back type stuff. Because remember... People are corrupt. They're, they're, they're desperately wicked. Their hearts are. Unless, God's, unless God has, has given them a new heart. 
And in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, we read some things here, and, and, and we've read this recently, but I want to note verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Then he says, verse 10, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. That, that again, that's what they did. They were professional, government-censured extortioners. And they would take money from people, and then it would be, you know, handed over. Okay, well, well, you know, ten dollars for the government, one dollar for me. And as long as Rome got her cut, that was all that needed to happen. And it says extortioners here, and I, I just thought that was. Uh, very interesting that that's what these publicans were considered. And then the next verse, that these shall not inherit the kingdom of God, verse 11, and such were some of you. Amen. Well, we know that's what Zacchaeus was when the Lord saved him. What did he do? He said, if I've taken from many, I've, I've restored it. Multiple fold. He said, and such were some of you, but you're washed but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, sinners come in all kinds of shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, so on and so forth. But when God saves them, they're a new creation. And so when you talk about salvation and we talk about the Lord saving someone, as we will hear in this message, is was Matthew qualified to be in need of salvation? You bet. That's all that mattered. Say, well, he was, he was this kind of a sinner and he was that kind of a sinner. He's qualified. So if you know any sinners, if we know any sinners... They're qualified and in need of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the sin is or what the sins are. I mean, we just read you a list of things and they're awful. They're vile. They're wicked. They're disgusting. They're demonstrative. They tear down. They destroy things. They destroy people. And, and yet, the Bible says in such words, some of you, God saved him. And so here's the case with Levi. Levi was probably, probably a very loose, extravagant young man, one writer put. Because when you became a publican, there were a lot of things in Jewish society that you could no longer participate in. You'd be excommunicated from the synagogue. You couldn't have... You could, if you walked into the synagogue as a publican, it would probably be a fight. You could no longer be a judge or you could not witness in a court session. Why is that? Because you were an extortioner. You had already tainted your reputation. 
you could not be trusted as a judge or a witness because as a judge, you'd be willing to take a bribe. As a witness, you'd be willing to take a bribe. And they had no room for you in the synagogue because again, that was supposed to be a place of worship. How could you worship? You're an extortioner. In the eyes of the community and in the eyes of his family, he was a disgrace. He was a traitor. But I want you to remember, we just got done preaching on a series about grace. Remember where grace found Abram? In the land of Ur of Chaldees? A pagan country? place with all kind of evil and wickedness was done and God found him there and God called him out. The same thing is true of Noah. Noah found, or God found Noah. What was it? He looked down upon the earth about all of his creation and he saw that there was only evil continuously done in their hearts. Their thoughts and imaginations were only evil continuously. But... Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he didn't find grace because he was doing good stuff. God had unmerited favor unto him. And I'm sure that you can remember where God found you at. Where you were at when God found you and saved you. Here he was. I mean, the Bible tells us that Levi, he was in the place of his extortion. Here they were in Capernaum, and the Bible tells us he passed by. Passed by where? He passed by the receipt of customs. It sounds like it was down by the seaside. So as they brought the fish in, how many fish you got? They got 50 of them, huh? Well, that'll be 10 pennies. Oh, you got 100 today, better than yesterday. It'll be 20. I mean, here he was meeting them. I mean, can you imagine? He'd come in there and maybe go into the boat and you got any underneath the seat here? Got any over here in the cooler? I mean, it sounds like the DNR. But here they were. They'd come in and, and they, they were there. And I want you to notice it says here in Mark 2 verse 14... And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. This is where Matthew was. Christ didn't wait for him to get better. Christ didn't say, listen, you've got to quit your job. You've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this. Then you can be saved. Then you'll be you'll be ready to be saved. No, he was already ready to be saved because he was qualified by sin. Christ said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, Levi was lost. I want to say just a few things here about Christ and and under this kind of ongoing heading we've got and that Lord keeps putting in my mind and on my heart and, and that's this is he's teaching these how to fish for men isn't he? 
I mean, we, we go back to chapter 1, and we may do this all the way through the book, but he, he said to uh, Simon, Simon and Andrew and, P, and, and James and John, he said in verse 17, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make, make you to become fishers of men. And so here he is, he's just walking by the seaside, and he was teaching, and, and he comes over here, and here's, here's Levi sitting at the seat of customs, and I don't know about you, but you ever you're going through your day and you see somebody and you go, I wonder if they're saved. I wonder if they know the Lord Jesus. Now, Christ didn't have to wonder that because he already knew. Did you ever see anybody? I want you to notice here that Christ did not shy away from going over and talking to Levi. Oh, he's a publican. We're not supposed to like publicans. You know, there, there's no, there's no anything that hinders Christ. I hope that nobody has any issues with anybody. As far as outward things go, oh, they're old. Oh, they're young. Oh, they're this color. Oh, they're that color. Oh. They're this background. Oh, they're that background. Are they sinners? They're qualified. And he went over and he said unto him. He went over there and he spoke unto him. Christ was not deterred by the fact that Levi was working for the Roman government. Nothing about Levi deterred Christ from the task that God had sent him on, that the Father had sent him, which was to seek and to save that which was lost. And I want you to think about that because years later, Matthew, an apostle, Matthew, a member of the Lord's church, Matthew, one who would be there when Christ would give the Great Commission unto His church. Matthew, who would be there when the Spirit of God descended on the church in the likeness of a dove on the day of Pentecost. Matthew, who would see the church persecuted. We find later on that Matthew, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, he's in, he's in North Africa, and he's martyred. For standing and preaching the gospel. He wasn't ashamed of it. He didn't didn't have anything deter him from preaching to others. We have far less that deters us, don't we? Well, what will they think? Or what will they say? Or how will I be treated? Or how will I be looked upon? Now, from a human standpoint, Christ didn't know Matthew. I mean, we know that he's God and he knows Matthew because he's God and he knows everything. But there wasn't a relationship that had been built up, was there? And you know, we do build relationships and you know, and and, and different things and sales, you know, they call it this is your hot market, this is your warm market, this is your cold market. Matthew is a cold market sale, if you would. He doesn't know him at all. 
but he goes over to them anyways. This might be the only time their paths cross. Remember those wonderful words? I'm sure you've heard it preached on. We, we, a lot of sovereign grace people like to preach on this, and it's there in John 4. Oh, he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria because there was that woman, that Samaritan woman there at the well, and he was going there, and he was going to preach the gospel to her. What about this person over here? Must you not go over there and talk to them about Christ? You're at the doctor's office, there's somebody over there. You know, most people don't go to the doctor when they're well, do they? They might be on the course going to their deathbed. Maybe you need to go talk to them about Christ. Maybe you're out to eat and your waiter or waitress or whomever, your team of waiters and waitresses, the clerk across the counter, maybe it's handing them a track from off the track table. Maybe it's just say, hey, I want you to have this. Or maybe you're in this conversation, you don't really know them, and you just say, can I pray with you? Do you know the Lord is your Savior? Because the Bible tells us that He was sitting at the receipt of custom. Levi was minding his own business, wasn't he? Guess what? So was Christ. I must be about my Father's business. And my Father's business includes telling you about the Gospel. And so he went over there and he interrupted Levi, who was sitting at the customs. And he said unto him, follow me. It's interesting. If you look at the Gospels, as you look in other places, if you go back to the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, I just want to show from this passage of Scripture, Matthew 4, verse 19, Christ's message was singular. By that I mean it didn't change. It was always the same thing. Follow me, wasn't it? The Gospel is the same today as it was then. It's the same as it was in Noah's day. It's the same as it was in Abraham's day. It's the same as it was when sin entered the world and God went into that garden and He said unto Adam, Where art thou? It's the same gospel message. So every person I talk to, go over and talk to this person, go over and talk to this person, go over and talk to this person, guess what? I don't have to learn a new message. I don't have to learn a new sales pitch. It's the same thing. It's Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Matthew 4, verse 19, He saith unto them, Follow Me. Same thing. That's the same thing He told to Simon Peter. Verse 18 tells us who He's talking to. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother. He told them this, and now He turns and He tells Matthew the same thing. Follow Me me. And that's still the message that we preach today. 
follow Christ. You need to follow Him. So we have Christ here and He's preaching the Word of God. He's, he, he's, he's evangelizing. He's making disciples. How's He making them? Preaching the same message, the Gospel. He didn't change it. We don't read one time where Christ told anyone to invite Him into their, his, their heart or to pray some prayer. It's always repentance and faith. It's always the Gospel, isn't it? Without exception. And so He, he speaks to them, and here's Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of customs, and Christ says unto him, do you remember when God first, I mean the first time you heard the gospel? When you were undone before God, when you realized, I'm a sinner. And I'm in a lot of trouble. And maybe you didn't respond as quickly as Levi did. But I'll tell you what, when God arrests you and reveals to you your sinful condition... That's an amazing thing. That'll interrupt your day. And boy, Levi's day got interrupted. In fact, his whole life got interrupted. You know, sometimes we use the phrase, man proposes. Levi probably had a lot of things he was going to do that day, but God disposed of all of that. And God disposes of a lot of things, doesn't he? Man says, oh, here's what I'm going to do. And God says, no, you're not. Now I want you to notice secondly here the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel is not complicated. Christ did not go into a multiple point sermon. He did not go into a, 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 um, a, a dissertation. I mean, He didn't go back and say, now listen, you know Matthew, before the foundation of the world was... now." He had a very simple message. Follow me. The gospel is very simple. It's not complicated. The gospel is, for the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Romans 6.23 You've sinned, but in Christ Jesus is eternal life. Now we can dive into all of that. We can get into the depths. You know you've sinned. You know you're not all right with God. You know that in your life you've committed trespasses. You know that in your heart, deep down, I know the heart's deceptive, but you even got a conscience. God gave you a conscience. And now you've got the Gospel, the Word of God, you've got the Spirit of God, and you know that you've sinned. You know how we know people sin? Because the Bible tells us that sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. And you know what? People keep dying, don't they? Spend a lot of time, a lot of money, on a lot of research. We still haven't figured out why people are dying. When God told us all along, it's because sin entered the world. 
And Christ comes to Levi with a very simple message, follow me. The gospel is not complicated. And you know, he didn't need, the Bible says in verse 13, he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of customs, and he said unto him, follow me. He didn't need six months to get ready to go and tell Matthew the gospel. It's amazing how much you and I can do on a moment's notice. We can wake up tomorrow, Lord willing, and decide we're going to do this, we're going to do that with zero preparation involved and go do it. But if I'm supposed to go preach the gospel, I need about six to nine months to prepare. That's ridiculous. We all know it. He saw a sinner, he walked over to him, and he told him the gospel. And it was very simple. As the Paul, he wrote into the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, and he said that he was concerned they were departing from the simplicity of the, of the gospel. The gospel is very simple. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby you must be saved. The gospel is very simple. That God hath commanded all men everywhere to repent and He, because He's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man Christ Jesus and He's given us assurance that He's going to judge because He raised Him from the dead. One day... You're going to stand before God. One day I'm going to stand before God. One day everyone's going to stand before God. And you're going to give an account. And either you're going to have righteousness or you're going to have self-righteousness. And the self-righteousness isn't going to cut it. You need the righteousness of of God. You need Jehovah, Sid Canoe, the Lord our righteousness, and the only way you're going to have that righteousness is by believing in Jesus Christ. The gospel is very simple that Jesus Christ died on the tree of the cross according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again three days according to the scriptures. It's not complicated. You know, there are some things that are complicated in life. I remember years ago, a friend of mine, we were watching a ball, football game and his wife was there and, and you know, a play happened and they, they called pass interference and it was obvious. And the next play, there wasn't any pass interference and she says, how come that's not pass interference? And, you know, we, we could understand. We were avid football fans. We tried explaining it to her why the one was not pass interference and the other was. And she said, I don't understand. And you go into different things, and it's like, I, to this day, I still don't understand the infield fly rule in baseball. Still don't get it. But the gospel's not complicated. You're a sinner. 
Christ is the Savior. Without Him, you're going to be eternally separated from God. There's nothing you can do, no work you can do, no religion you can do, no religious ceremony, no religious rite. There's nothing you can do to gain favor with God. You need Christ. That's the simplicity of the Gospel. And if you're saved, you've lived it, you've felt it, it's happened to you, and boy, you can explain that and tell that to people. That's the Gospel message. And that what Paul did, where he went, he told them about the Damascus Road experience. He told it to this king, he told it to that king. How God had saved him. Thirdly, I'd like you to note the power of the gospel. In verse 14 of Mark chapter 2, it states here, And as he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting at the receipt of customs, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. This is the power of the gospel. This is that effectual call. Christ had been preaching and teaching there in the previous verse by the seaside and now He walks by and you know we preached. We've been here for six years and we've preached and we've preached and we've preached. And there's different effectual calls. There's the effectual call unto salvation. There's effectual calls unto service. There's effectual calls where people, where they follow the Lord in scriptural baptism, they become members of His church. There's effectual calls where people say, I've got to get this out of my life and put this in my life. See, there's more than just one effectual call. There's been times to say, boy, I'm not, I'm not living like I should. I'm not loving my spouse like I should. I don't love the Lord like I should. My prayer life isn't what it should be. My giving isn't what it should be. My witnessing isn't what it should be. And you feel that call of God, that tug, that nudge, that pulling. That work of the Spirit of God on the inside and you make outward changes because He worked something inside. You see, that's the power of the Gospel. Here here He is. Here is Matthew sitting at the seat of customs. And you know the Bible still says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, to them that believe. It's the power of God to us, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? People say, well, I don't see that many people being saved today. How about this? Maybe it's because the gospel isn't being preached. Say, well, there's all these churches. Exactly. And they're preaching another gospel. They're not preaching the gospel. Oh, oh, just just pray this prayer and you'll be saved. Bunch of hogwash. I'll just walk down the aisle and, and, and you're now saved. Bunch of horse feathers. 
you don't know what horse feathers are, they don't exist. Horses don't have feathers. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. No, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen." and the preaching of the word is despised. Don't ever forget that. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. When Christ went over to that customs table and said, follow me, and Matthew got up, Levi got up and followed him. Is there anything that could be glorified in the flesh? Not one thing. Not one thing. Look in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. Paul says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. You might say, well, I, I, I don't, I'm not a good orator. Neither was Paul. Neither was Moses. And yet, there's a lot of people. Can you talk to a person to say, have, have you believed on the Lord? Do you, have, are you saved? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Let me tell you how He saved me. Have you repented of your sins? Remember, it's the gospel, not your oration abilities. That's the power of God. And he went on and he said in verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is still the gospel today. It's still the power of the gospel. That God can take men such as Levi 
sitting at the customs and change him. And they follow him. Last of all, this morning, Levi arose and followed Christ. I don't, I'm not going to go into very much depth on this, but it said, and he arose and followed him. There's a popular thing today, it's probably been around a long time, but it's popular amongst so-called Christian dumb Christianity. You know, people look and say, oh, God used a horror to do this. God used a harlot to do this. He used this a drunkard to do this, that, and the other. No. It's not what happened. God saved them first. And then He used them. Here was an extortioner and God saved him. And he never extorted again. See, God, when God came, when Christ came to him, he said, follow me. And he got up and he left what he was doing, didn't he? And we know the reality of it because the next verse, verse 15, tells us that Matthew, what did he do? He fixed a feast for everybody. He didn't extort anybody now, did he? He had a change of outward behavior because he was a changed being. He was a new creation in Christ. Old things were passed away. All things had become new. People say, oh, well, God does this and God uses this and He uses that. First, He changes them and makes them a new creation. Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 6? You know, adulterer, fornicator, you know, sodomite, homosexual. Then he goes down into, you know, thieves, drunkards, vilers, extortioners. And then he said, and such were, past tense, some of you. But now ye are justified, sanctified. He said, this is what you are. You used to be this. But you're not that anymore. Now you're this in Christ Jesus. And so this is what folks need to realize. You see, when God saves you, you're not going to stay the same and you're not going to be able to stay in the same place. I remember my grandfather, he said, you know, when when used to be the expression is when God saves a person, they change hitching posts. They don't tie their horse up at the bar anymore. They tie him up at the church house. We cannot continue in sinful things and follow Christ. Remember that woman that they'd taken her in the very act of adultery and they were going to stone her? And Christ said, you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one they went away. And then Jesus, what did he do? He just got up and left, didn't he? He didn't say anything to her. No. What did he say to her? Where are those thine accusers? So they're all gone. He said, neither do I condemn thee. And it didn't end there. Go and sin no more. Levi, you can't. You can't extort people and follow me. It, 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 do, it doesn't work. Now, Levi, 
if you, when you quit extorting people, it's not going to make you more righteous. Because only Christ can make you righteous. And you can't add anything to that righteousness. When God called him, and he followed him, and I want you to think, if you would, as we look at this, the Bible tells us here in this passage he was the son of Alphaeus. But now his allegiance belonged unto God because he was now a son of God. And he had a lucrative business. I mean, there he was. He was a tax collector. We already read to you about Zacchaeus. He was the chief of the publicans and he was rich. I mean, here he was. He was, he's got it made. He's on the steps. He can move right up. He could, if he wasn't rich, he could be rich. Oh man, he had a good job. Christ said, follow me. You know what Christ had in store for Matthew? Suffering. Because you can't follow Christ and not suffer. And I'm not talking about all the everyday aches and pain. I'm talking about real Christian suffering. He said, you follow me. You know what he had in store? Again, suffering. And eventually, he was going to be killed just like Christ. He was going to be martyred. And you know what? He followed him. Isn't that something? Leave all that stuff. Leave all that and follow Christ. Only the gospel can do that. I don't know about you here. I know some of you, you've left things. You've left family. You've had to have allegiance to Christ. You have to have allegiance to be a member of this church. You be scripturally baptized, become a member of this church. That's part of following Christ, isn't it? It's not easy to follow the Lord. Christ said, I come not to give, send peace, but I come to send a sword. They of your own household are going to be your enemies. That's in Matthew 10. You're going to follow me. You're going to have difficulties here. 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 But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Joy cometh in the morning. You follow me. And you know there's nothing better in this world than following Christ, is there? I've seen people who don't follow the Lord. They're like Matthew. If they would have kept on. If Matthew hadn't have, had, had not have been called of God and he just left them alone, I've seen them. They're not happy. They're not happy. Their lives aren't easy. Christ said, my yoke is easy. Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's got an easy yoke and a, and a light burden. So I pray the Lord will bless His word. We see here the call of Matthew. Are there any Matthews, any Levi's that you come across that you need to go into? Say, so are you following Christ? 
Think about the boldness of Christ just to walk up to Matthew. He's sitting here to come say, follow me. That takes boldness, doesn't it? We need boldness today. We need that spiritual, heavenly boldness. That's what's always been needed in the Lord's work. So I pray God will help us. He'll give us grace and strength to do those things. Let's stand and we'll...